This is Mike Quinlan, and you are listening to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. There is one constant in business, and that is that every one of us will eventually exit, and sometimes sooner than we think. In this podcast, we discuss topics to help you with elite preparation, so when you're ready for transition, you won't just exit, you will join that exclusive group of owners who have accomplished an elite exit. We talk with former owners, exit advisors, and a host of other experts to help you increase the value of your exit, execute it on your terms, and most importantly, do it without regret. So let's join the show. Hi, everybody. It's Mike Quinlan again with the Business Owner Transition Podcast, and I've got a special show today because we have got Ronnie Kent and Nathan Corbett with us. Ronnie successfully sold his company not too long ago to a company called Brady IFS. And the interesting thing about this particular transition was that Ronnie received a unsolicited offer, evaluated the offer, and then called us and we pulled together a team of folks to help Ronnie negotiate the letter of intent and also go through that kind of that due diligence period all the way through the purchase agreement. And uh, Nathan was a, a critical element in that whole thing. And we also had a couple other advisors that helped out as well. So we had Rob Swartwood of Concilium, who was the, uh, the legal associate that helped us. And then we had also uh, John Coffin from Practical Growth Advisors. And uh, John and, I, and uh, Rob and Nathan and I all helped Ronnie through his transition. So, Ronnie, how are you doing today? We really appreciate you joining us. I'm doing great today. We're six months out since uh, closing, so uh, life is good. Yeah, looking forward to fall and football season. I hear you. Me too. I, I was telling you earlier that I drive by that that outdoor barbecue place all the time, and it just makes me think about football and beer. So I am looking forward to it as well. Go dogs, uh, <laughs> Nathan. How are you doing? Doing well, Mike. And uh, like you guys, football season can't get here fast enough. Yeah, I know. I know. We hear about it, and it's going to cool off out there. And But that's not what we're here to talk about. Ronnie alluded to the fact that six months ago, he closed on his deal. And uh, I remember when the 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 wire hit and uh i i couldn't see his face but i could hear him through the phone he had a big giant smile on his face when he was talking to us don't you think absolutely (laughs) all right so ronnie let's let's take it back a little bit and ronnie was in the academy so he went through the business owner transition academy and ronnie how did that academy experience help you prepare to receive this unsolicited offer and ultimately achieve your elite exit? Well, I think one of the things that I, I came to the realization was is that I, I couldn't do this myself and that it was going to take a, a lot of professional people who do this for a living, uh, in which I don't do this for a living, to understand the nuances of the contracts and what everything meant and what the future of it would be. Uh, that I just didn't have the, the experience to, to know exactly which way to go. Yeah. I remember after the, uh, actually, I remember you saying that during the Academy session as you, that you kind of realized right. that. 
And then afterwards, we talked about what your plans were. And at one point, I think you were looking at, at doing an acquisition after the Academy. We were. We had, uh, we had studied an acquisition for probably about a year and a half. And uh, it just went on and on and on. And then it kind of went south. And so we, we had already started in talks with other companies. And so uh, we just kind of left that behind and moved forward. Yeah. And when we got together afterwards and you talked to Nathan Nathan and I about that, we recommended that you talk with John and Emmett over there at Practical Growth Advisors to have them help you model the cash flows that might be generated from a combined entity to see how that return looked and what that integration might look like. And so... I know you did that, and how was that experience working with with John and Emmett, and what did they do for you? Well, what they helped us do was identify a lot of places where we could gain some efficiencies in our operation, uh, mainly through inventory, looking at some of those things, and then also looking at opportunities in sales, looking at categories, that categorizing customers and their purchases, and where we had um, customers who were maybe buying one portion of our line, but other portions of our business that we had opportunities to grow. And then also in, in looking over the acquisition, what it would do, uh, it was real easy to just go in and do all the what if scenarios, throw in their numbers, what expenses we were going to be able to cut and do some cash flow analysis and sales projections. Um, based on the combined companies. Yeah, and one of the things that we always talk to our clients about it, and you you heard this over and over again at the Academy, is the I'm Good checklist, and specifically the the G, which is growth. And sometimes we talk to our, to our students and clients about the fact that even though they may have a growth plan in their head, uh, but they don't have it documented anywhere. They don't have it tied to any kind of projections. And we always encourage them to go ahead and let's, let's document what that, that growth plan is, even if you don't have the human capital or the financial capital to put it in place. You can still document it and tie it to uh, performance. And in this scenario, that's exactly what you were doing. Uh, you were you had the opportunity to be able to execute this, but you really needed to understand what those future cash flows might look like, what that integration of sales forces might look like, the operational piece of it, and documenting, essentially documenting the the business plan for joining these two companies together. So that served as a great foundation for the future, didn't it? Because when you started talking to Brady IFS, you had that information. Correct. Yeah, we were able to to really knock out some you know good projections, some EBITDA projections. We were able to go in and um, you know by focusing on some of our operational efficiencies, get some a lot of that stuff up and at least isolated, so that when somebody asks us a question, uh, you know how much debt inventory do you have? How much, what's your terms and everything like that. We were able to go in and really intelligently answer and answer, but show 
the statistics on all of those questions. And do you think that if you had not going, gone through that process with those guys, do you think that being able to answer those questions and work through the due diligence process would have been, um, you know, it's never easy, but it went a little smoother perhaps because you had that. I think it went a little smoother. And I think one of the things was, it, I think it gave them a whole lot more confidence in our numbers that we were able to diligently answer these questions and not, uh, and answer them in a, in a quick, uh, as quickly as possible and with as much accuracy as we could. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, let's revisit all of that in just a minute as we start talking about due diligence. But I will say one thing that, that, you, re- that you mentioned that is critical, and that is that, that the buyer believe your numbers. And what is important is that you remove as much uncertainty uh, from the buyer's mind as possible because the more uncertainty they have the less they want to pay you for for your company and uh, the idea here right is to remove uncertainty from future cash flows so the tighter the numbers are the better uh, negotiating position you're in as you go through that due diligence period let's back up just a second and talk a little bit about how that initial offer came from Brady IFS and what was your relationship with them at that time? Well, we had talked to, to Brady probably two years previously. And, um, and I, I think they, they had not been purchased by their late, uh, private equity company at that point in time. And we had some discussions and, and, you know, they just really didn't go anywhere for, I don't know, whatever reason or another, but, we knew of Brady. They're a, they're a, definitely a, a large player in the industry, and you know when they combined with IFS and got private equity behind them and started going out and acquiring other companies, it, they were mainly out west. So we knew who they were, um, and we knew them mainly from reputation and just from the acquisitions that they were in the process of making. Um, but then they reengaged us and, and called us to find out uh if we would be interested in having a conversation and of course we we were open to that at that point in time we had cut off our discussions on the uh the acquisition and we just decided that we were just going to continue to move forward uh and not look to sell the company but be open to selling the company uh as we had with with um, my friends at brightworth and they had said you know you need to entertain offers if you're in a three to five year window, you need talking to people who are calling you and want to make offers. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a good place to bring Nathan in for just a minute because Nathan, I mean, Ronnie, you already had a financial advisor that was well-versed in speaking the language of transaction. And Nathan, maybe you can comment a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, Mike, as, as Ronnie was kind of coming up upon this transaction after you know, obviously this was, uh, what, a year and a half or so after, you know, Ronnie, your experience through the, the academy. And what was interesting is through that experience and through the homework that Ronnie had done uh, during that interim year and a half or so period uh, and, and doing the work with John, it gave him the ability to understand, you know, what are the merits of this offer that just landed on my desk? 
Is this something I should entertain? And, and frankly, that's information that's incredibly valuable that most owners don't have, right? They don't understand the, the details of uh, not just what their company is worth, but why is it worth that? And, and that was information that Ronnie had, you know, front and center. And when this offer then arrives on his desk, he has the information that he needs to vet that offer. Not just is it good, but is it good for me, right? Does it work? Does it get me you know, to the destination that I'm trying to get to. Uh, and, and that, to me, is the foundation. When we can start with that, that's the foundation that we need to have success later on. Uh, and, and Ronnie did a great job just making sure that he had dotted all of his I's, uh, crossed all of his T's, so that when that moment happened, he was ready. Yeah, it, and it gives the uh, deal team, the negotiating team, the power that they need to be able to negotiate along with Ronnie uh, on Ronnie's behalf, knowing that there's been some stress testing of what the consideration and what the deal terms might look like. So I'm sure, Ronnie, that that gave you a lot more um, confidence as you started entertaining this and then went into the negotiating period. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine not having a, a, a team of people to bounce things off of like this to, you know, cause it is, uh, you know, hopefully it's the only time in my lifetime I'll do this and I, and I want to make sure I do it right. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Um, all right. So when you started talking to, to Brady IFS, what were the, what were the, what was the tone of those conversations? Well, initially, you the whole process from the very first time that I spoke with them after they re-engaged after two years, um, it was a different person. Uh, Bone was very cordial, very friendly, um, more on a just informational basis and kind of where we are. The thing that did also impressed me with them is um, before we ever even got to a, an ally, before there was even an offer made, um, the gentleman who I was dealing with flew out from California three different times just to meet with me to see, you know, where I was in my head, where the business was, where it was going, you know, how this would, um, uh, went out to dinner with my wife and I to make sure she was on board with everything, uh, and how she felt about the selling the business and things like that. So, you know, it was, uh, which to me was very comforting that that was a, that was a consideration for them, that they were, they wanted to make sure that this was a good fit, not only for them, but also for us. Yeah. And that's, that's really good. And now had that person sold a company to Brady IFS in the past? I can't remember that. Or was he? Yes, he had. He, well, he had sold. I think about he had sold a business to to in the same in the same industry, and he had owned part of the business and did sell that business to a, a larger company. So he had been through that before. Got it. Got it. Okay. And so his role was to help find companies that uh, might fit their profile and could help them expand market share into various geographic areas and expand the company. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Now, so 
all the initial discussions were going good. And um, how much information did you and did you give those guys? And uh, when did you sign an NDA? Uh, but did you do that? How long before you you talked back to us? Did you do that? Uh, well, we had had an NDA from two years ago that they kind of felt was valid uh, when we first had our initial discussions, which was, you know, probably in in uh, March and about May when they started requesting some documentation. Uh, it came to their attention and my attention when I pulled everything back out that the previous NDA that they thought they were still covered under uh, had run out. It had a, a two-year limit on it. So we they got us another NDA out in May. Um, we signed that, and then we started sending them um, generic, fairly fairly generic information. Um, you know, some of the, like the employee count, employees and locations, and, you know, redacted with no names or anything like that. Uh, we sent them three years financials and that was, that was pretty much about it to start with. Okay. So that's, that was just kind of the beginning of the dance and, uh, right. and, and everybody was, was all, you know, happy and all the rest of it. And they're trying to evaluate you to make sure that this is a, a, a good financial fit. And then they generated a letter of intent for you, right? Correct. So, so that came about much later in, in like September um, was the first letter of intent. And, um, and then we spent about, uh, of course, by that point in time, uh, when we got the letter of intent, you know, kind of made everything real and, uh, jumped on the phone with, uh, you and Nathan and John and, you know, uh, you know, started having to try to get in, engage an attorney, uh, to start looking over everything. And so, um, which all that took about a month. And then before we, we finally uh, went back and forth on the LOI verbally and in writing and, and went back and forth. And it was probably October, maybe the second week in October before we actually signed and agreed on an LOI. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember that that day that you called up, you said, OK, it, just like you said, OK, it's getting real now. I, I've, I've got an LOI in my hand and, and we asked you to send it over to us. And and it was interesting because as we got the team engaged, uh, Nathan and John and I, uh, along with you, found that they might be able to sweeten the offer pretty much immediately. And I think, uh, the initial thought that we had, we went back to them with a, with some, uh, with a change and, uh, it, that turned out pretty good on the way that the initial consideration was going to be. What were the terms of that LOI? Was there earnout involved in that? Uh, there was in, in the initial one, you know, it was more of a, a bottom line net, um, mm -hmm. And it, it kind of changed a little bit in the final product. Yeah. And were you, as you started going through all this, these conversations, uh, was your expectation that you would get, that there would be an earnout or some type of delayed payment with a offer that you might get? Or did you think, you know, that they were going to, they would pay you uh, the full consideration at the closing table? 
Well, I was hoping for the full consideration of the closing table, but that's not always the way it works. Uh, right. So, you know, I, I guess everything is negotiable is what I, what I have learned through this process is that everything's negotiable. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the reason I ask you that question and, and knowing the answer, but I, I, the reason I was asking you the question is because the a lot of times people think that when they're ready to sell their company, they're just going to kind of push the proverbial easy button and somebody's going to pay them a bunch of money for their company and they're going to walk away and be done with it. And the reality of it is, is that in most cases, owners don't necessarily, or not owners, but the buyers don't necessarily feel that way, right? They want to protect their investment for a period of time going forward. And they would like those owners to, to stay engaged with the company. And in order to do that, they use this thing called an earnout. Uh, which is, you know, a delay on consideration to hit certain numbers and make them feel better about their investment. Yeah, and I mean, I had had some previous LOIs from other companies, and so I was kind of familiar with, you know, what the expectation would be in that, that there would be some holdback, that there would be, you know, some form of earnout or something possible. Um, you know, we had had some that didn't have any, but it was, you know, it was less money. You know, so it's one of those things. There's always, always trade-offs. You know, you want to get everything and you want it all up front. You know, you're just probably not going to get as much. That's right. That's right. And the reason you're not going to get as much is because it's a factor of being a risk adjustment. Risk right? adjustment, exactly. Yep. Yep. So they're willing to give you more if they're going to benefit from. Uh, paying you more, right? Correct. If they're going to have additional revenue, additional income in the future, then they're they're willing to pay you some more for it. Exactly. Um, so de-risking the transaction, essentially. Uh, so what did it feel like when you called us and we got John and we we got uh, we introduced you to Rob, and the team started advising you and also participating in some of those phone calls. How did how did that make you feel as you were going through the process? Well, it felt me it helped me feel good about um, the process, knowing that you know I had some people who have done this before, who had experience, who have uh, seen a lot of different transactions that look you know wrapped all kinds of different ways uh, to help get through that and understand you know maybe why they were doing the way the way they were doing it and know what what might be a, a different way around that for us um so that we you know both of us could win because i think that ultimately that's the goal is you know they win and we win that's right that's right i mean people don't do these transactions you know to uh to make it one way they right they everybody is working on the behalf of their stockholders or the behalf of their families to do the best thing that they can do as they try to negotiate these deals and uh, did having the deal team did that change at all the way that um, that they were talking with you? And the reason what I'm asking you here is that that when owners try to do this on their own without other advisors around them, um, sometimes they don't have as much leverage as they might have if they have a deal team on their side to help them. How did that work for you? Did it did it feel like you were in a better position by having people around you? 
Well, I do think I was in a better position. And, and one of the things that, you know, the considerations is, is that if you're going to go there and you're going to work through a period of time that they want you to stay on and work out and, and have an earn out or whatever, uh, you certainly want to have a, a good working relationship with these people as you go forward. And, you know, having a deal team, somebody who, you know, doesn't really, uh, aren't directly have a dog in the hunt, um, that they can sit there and guide you and, you know, they can, you know, people can get upset, but you, at the end of the day, when all the papers are signed, they're gone and it's, it's me and them, uh, the acquiring company working together to make things better and to move things forward. And, and so that was very helpful because, you know, if there was something that wasn't so positive, uh, well, then we let it get delivered by somebody on the deal team, uh, you know, so, so that it didn't come back on me and it wasn't a personal reflection and, and they didn't take it personally, uh, you know, that I was trying to screw them or they were trying to screw me uh, because it didn't really want to that, get to that point. And unfortunately, I think that a lot of cases um, that happens. That's right. And so you mentioned a very, very important word, which is emotion. And, uh, that is probably the thing that kills the most deals out there, right? Because when the owner deals with the buyer and it turns emotional, then, uh, tough, you know, decisions sometimes get clouded. And when you have a guy like Nathan over there that is, is sitting on those phone calls and, uh, can, can speak, uh, to the intricacies of the financial statements and talk about why the, uh, quality of earnings assumptions that they're making are not the qualities of, of earnings assumptions that we are making. Um, it, it keeps everybody on more of a level playing field. And then you can receive guidance also from people that, are, that have seen, hey, look, this deal is going to fall apart three times. Let's, let's, I think I told you that at the very beginning yes, of this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it did, right? Correct. So, um, and, and that's just the nature of, of doing transactions, right? So, um, I think that people look at you with more respect when you have people around you that are, are helping advise you. Yeah. And it is, uh, it is the most emotional thing I believe I've ever been through in my life. You know, I think I went probably uh, six months with very little sleep. Uh, it's just a, it's a trying time. And, and so much of it is is the emotional part of it. That's right. That's right. We have a little success formula. You've heard it before. It's uh, success equals process times vision times desire. And process are all the things that Nathan and the, the rest of the deal team do for you, the accountants and the lawyers and the, you know, the, the, um, the deal guys. And the vision piece, though, is all yours. And that includes things like how much money is coming out of the, out of the transaction, you know, how much is my own personality embedded in this business? And am I going to be able to separate from that? Um, what does the community think? What am I going to do about my employees? And that's the, that is where the emotion resides is yep. in that one section, right? 
Absolutely. And I'm sure you thought about many of those things as you were going through your transaction. Yeah, not only going through the transaction, but also just in, in choosing the right partner. Uh, because like I said, I had had other LOIs and approached by many other companies. And, and you know, uh, part of it, I think, is just getting to the right partner that you feel comfortable with, uh, you know, going through this process. Yeah, and let me just turn over to Nathan here for a minute. And Nathan, you were involved in the all of the, the negotiating phone calls with John and Rob. And what we saw, I think, was a little bit of a change in tone, right? It was at the beginning of the of the negotiations where Ronnie was working with the business developer of the company. And then this was a private equity backed company. So they had a, a deal team that were a little different than than the uh, two guys talking at the beginning and playing golf and doing all that. So Nathan and Ronnie, why don't we let you guys talk a little bit about how that tone changed a little bit and, um, and, and how we all, how we worked through that. And Thanks, Ronnie, Mike. maybe you go first. Yeah, go ahead, Ronnie. Well, I, I think it, I think a lot of it changed when, when, you know, we got to the, you know, we all agreed on everything and we, you know, we got kind of the thumbs up from uh, the the uh, due diligence uh, accounting people uh, that everything was good to move forward. And then when we started to enter into the legal phase of it, I think that's when things started getting a lot tougher. Yeah. When you start putting yep. everything down in black and white, uh, that's that's when I think probably the, the tone and everything changed a little bit. Yeah. And, and it's not bad or good. It's just and uh, number crunchers that are involved and it's less personal. Right. It's more right. people just kind of work in the deal. And sometimes that really doesn't feel good. And Nathan, you were involved in that. What were your impressions? Yeah, Mike, it, you know, in, anytime you get an LOI that gets signed, everything starts to kind of shift under your feet as a business owner. Um, a couple of things I was thinking about, Ronnie, as you were talking earlier, and this is actually going to back before the LOI and really setting that groundwork for success post LOI. Um, we talked about an NDA. And uh, one of the things for, for any business owners that are out there who are looking forward to a transaction, uh, you know, Ronnie, you're looking back on it now, and that's a good place to be looking at a transaction is looking back on it. Uh, but for those that are looking forward and, and, you know, whether it's a year out, two years out or 10 years out, um, when you start that process, one of the first things you need to be thinking about is an NDA. And, and oftentimes the buyer is going to have an NDA that you can sign. Um, when you get that sort of thing as a buyer, make sure your advisors look at that NDA. Uh, inevitably, what we see most often is that that NDA is intended to uh, protect the buyer, not intended to protect us as the seller. So we want to make sure that we've gotten really good advice on that NDA. Um, as we get uh, a little bit further down the road and, and we start exchanging information, uh, one of the things to keep in mind is not to give too much information too quickly. Um, this was one thing, Ronnie, that you were really well prepared for because of, uh, of the fact that you guys were working with uh, John over at Practical Growth Advisors, and, and we had had lots of these conversations. You already had all the information 
that was relevant to what they needed to know. And so when those trans or when those documents started changing hands, uh, you had the right information and you weren't giving them too much too quickly. That's another mistake. Uh, we see a lot of business owners, especially in an unsolicited offer make is they just send all the information in the world that they have and they end up backing themselves into a corner without realizing it. So that's another important thing. And that's, that's another reason, Ronnie, that you were so successful in this is that you didn't do that. But once we, once we get to that LOI, one of the things that, um, uh, that may be surprising and, and Ronnie, I know you remember this, there were a lot of iterations of the LOI before we, you know, from the, the first draft until the final signed copy. And uh, so hopefully this goes without saying, but don't just assume that, you know, the first deal is the only deal. And uh, Ronnie, you mentioned this, but, you know, everything's up for negotiation. Um, understanding what your company was worth before you started this process allowed us as your advisors and you to get to the LOI that was right for you. Um, and, and to get to what we're talking about right now, um, that LOI, once it's signed, uh, we often tell people that's the best possible deal that you're going to get. Because as soon as that happens, you move from, you know, this, this person that you've been communicating with back and forth that is your buddy during this transaction to the deal team that's behind the scenes that is not your buddy. They're, you know, really good at math and they're trying to figure out a way that this math equation that is this transaction is going to work. And that's really what they care about. They're trying to make sure this thing balances and understanding. We talked about emotions uh, early on and, and Mike, you're right. Emotions are the number one thing that can kill a deal. Um, but understanding what that process is and understanding who it is that you're now talking to can help diffuse some of those emotions when you realize, okay, I, I know what it is they're trying to get to. They're trying to figure out this math equation. Um, and then having uh, some guys like uh, uh, Rob, who has been through this, uh, you know, numerous times, and John, who, who has also been through this numerous times, that can help filter out and, and help, you know, guys like you, Ronnie, understand, hey, this is why you're being asked this question. Again, it helps to diffuse some of that information or diffuse some of that emotion as you're going through this. But, you know, Mike, to your point, once you get to that deal team, everything changes, right? Then that math equation comes front and center and they're going to start to look at every single number to try and find ways to bring that LOI down, to bring that sales price down, to bring the terms down, to make it uh, more advantageous to the buyer and ultimately less advantageous to us as the seller. So um, that was certainly the case here, but this is also where, you know, Ronnie had done his homework beforehand. So, he knew the value of each one of these things. And because he had a deal team around him, he, he was seeing where all the gotchas are in the language that, you know, the buyers and, and this deal team were ultimately putting out. So, you know, he's able to understand, hey, here's what this means. Here's what they're telling me and here's what it means. When you put all that information together, it's, it's much, much easier to have a really successful transaction. And that's ultimately, Ronnie, where, uh, where you got to. Yeah. And. It, it, one thing I will tell you is that everybody needs to remember that the buyer has got a model. The buyer knows exactly how much money they want to pay. And they're going to arrive at that through a combination of, of cash and 
of potentially some rollover equity and some deferred terms that are associated with production levels of the company. So it's not like they're just, you know, winging it here. They, every single change, every item that they negotiate into the deal goes into the model to make sure that the return on the investment that they're making uh, is maintained. So we on the other side as a seller have to think about, okay, I know they've got this model, but I know what I need from this deal. And I know what my, what my hard nose are when it comes to doing this because I've thought about it already. I've already understood what my vision is and I know what I'm willing and not willing to accept because as we get closer to the closing table, things tend to get a little bit more difficult. And uh, Ronnie, how was, how was that last two weeks going into the closing table for you? Well, the last, you know, we kept getting the closing pushed back and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And, and, you know, even the, even the day of closing, we had it pushed back four times. Uh, so, you know, it, it was, um, obviously very emotional because you keep thinking that you're, you're almost there. And then there's other things that come up and, you know, wording in the contracts and just, you know, some of the, the minor legal stuff that. I say it's minor, but it, it's major the effect of it because it's all about dollars. And so it, it has a tremendous effect. And, you know, thank goodness for the people like Rob who says, you know, unless you tell me, we're just not agreeing to this, you know, and th you just, this is where you need to be firm and this is what you need to do. And so uh, that was extremely helpful. Um, but we, we got pushed back so many times that, you know, I, I, I was trying to be much more realistic in the closing date. Uh, you know, they, they seemed to push and wanted to push it faster. And, you know, um, Rob had his own opinions of what their, their strategy was behind that. I just, you know, tend to think that, uh, we just, we just couldn't get there, uh, the, at the rate we were going with the attorneys going back and forth. And, uh, you know, whether that's intentional or not, I don't know. I don't think it's, I don't think it was malicious by the people who, who actually wanted to do the deal between me and between the company that was acquiring. I, I don't think they were malicious because I think they wanted at that point in time, wanted to do it as bad as we wanted to do it. And we both had a vested interest in getting it done. Uh, you know, they wanted to be in the Southeast and they wanted a, a, a place in Atlanta. And, you know, we had gotten to that point uh, emotionally and down the road where, you know, we, we wanted to get the, the paperwork signed. We wanted to get the legal agreements done and we wanted to, to just close. And, uh, you know, you, you keep try to keep all these things under wraps for so long. And, you know, eventually people start to be suspicious about things going on. And so we, we just wanted to get all that over with. And, uh, and I, and I think we both had the, the, the want to get it done. And, you know, so there was, there was give and take on both sides in the last two weeks, just because I think we wanted to. And, you know, looking back, I'm sure that, you know, they, you know, they've told me that, you know, whatever you had invested in, in your, your team, they just said, um, just know that we probably had two and a half times that. Right. Right. And that's a really good point, right? Because deal teams, um, especially 
on the uh, buyer side, right? These big companies have lots of people. They've got lots of lawyers and they've got lots of M&A guys and, and lots of analysts and all that kind of stuff. So they've got big overhead as they're, as they're working this. And sometimes that puts the seller at a disadvantage when it comes down to the uh, last, you know, 30 days of, of working through the deal. Um, there is this concept of deal fatigue out there where sellers often um, just really get tired of the process. And sometimes they will make, uh, make errors in judgment because they get fatigued. So I think having people around you to help, uh, help you avoid that is, uh, is, is a good thing. Um, okay. So last question, you went through this process, you, you accomplished what I think was an elite exit for you. And what would you have done differently? I think the thing that I probably would have done differently thinking back on it was, was probably work a little bit more diligently about, uh, cleaning up the inventory, cleaning up the books, um, doing much more the, the planning that we did with the practical growth advisors um, ahead of time, rather than in the 12 to 18 months prior to, if we had been in a position when we started of, of not going through that, but already having it done, um, I think that we would have looked a lot better, looked a lot cleaner, had uh, some good history behind us. Um, but it's also one of those things where, you know, we. We, the businesses continue to be great. Uh, so parts of me says, well, you know, gosh, what if we had waited another 12 months? But, um, you know, I try not to look in the rearview mirror because uh, there's so many unforeseen things that could have happened that, that you know, didn't. Uh, the good thing is, is we got it all closed. We have a great partnership. And the businesses continue to grow at a, at a phenomenal clip. And we've surpassed... Uh, I think we've had a, a record every month for the last um, 11 months. Every month we've exceeded. So um, it's been a tremendous way to, to go out, and, and I feel good about the transaction and where we are. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, uh, everybody out there, I want you to join us on October 4th. We're going to have an event at the Buckhead Club. Ronnie is kind enough to uh, be able to, or come and sit down and let me grill him on a panel discussion along with Nathan and Rob Swartwood and with John Coffin from Practical Growth Advisors. And you're going to hear more about the story and how Ronnie's journey was from from owning that company and thinking about doing something and thinking about buying somebody else and then ultimately to accomplishing his own elite exit. And you can find out more about that just by emailing me at mike.quinlan at theowneracademy.com. That's mike.quinlan at theowneracademy.com or going to theowneracademy.com and we'll have some information on the website there for you. In the notes for the show, I'll put all this information down so that uh, you don't have to remember it if you're driving in your car. And we thank you, Ronnie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. You got it. And Nathan, I appreciate your insights and you being with us as well today. Always a pleasure, Mike. Thank you.
Okay, guys, thank you very much. And everybody out there, we'll see you next time on the Business Owner Transition Podcast.